What is happening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of The Drop. And you know, I'm so stoked. Uh, we're doing a series on sobriety, on, on different angles of it, from people who've gotten sober to, if you saw la last week's show, Pete Kanita knocked it out of the park with the support that he is showing for his daughters and what is he what he has done to overcome uh, years of living with an addict. So make sure to continue to tune in. I think we're running these for like the next, I don't know, three months or so. People just keep saying they want to come on the show. And when I put the post out, I, I put it out on social media a while ago. I had two people in mind when I put it out. And those two gentlemen are sitting next to me. They made a long trek to get up here to Birmingham, Michigan to visit here in the Better Rate Mortgage Studios at Woodward Sports, uh, the complex here. And I'm so thankful that we do the show from here. But, you know, different people have different views of sobriety. The, the road is, is, it's not cookie cutter. The way we find our way out of it is not cookie cutter. But you have to keep trying. You have to keep reaching out. Find that person that's going to tell you exactly what you need to hear at that moment to realize there is hope. There is a way out. And you two have, I mean, you are the greatest expressions of that, in my opinion. Jeff and I met, I don't know, a couple years ago uh, via social media. I know social media is often a terrible thing, the over-inundating of whatever people want to hear affecting other people, but it is a an awesome connection tool. And we connected through social media. You made the drive up. You were going to visit Riverside Park. I remember the day like it was yesterday. We we met on, on, on a bench there, and it was like instant connection. And Jared um, started coming up with them. I don't know, a year ago. I don't even know how long ago it was when you started coming up to Michigan. It was a it was a couple years ago. I think I met you the first time at Jimmy's ramp. Oh yeah. And I was not sober at uh, uh, Well, we're gonna get into that a little bit yeah. as we uh, progress through this show. But uh, these two gentlemen are incredible. I mean, not only talented skateboarders, but uh, just humans. Humans. They look out for the people around them, and without sobriety. We wouldn't be sitting here. We would not be sitting here. So I'm going to go back and forth a little bit between Jared and Jeff. I'm sure they're going to go back and forth a little bit. So just kick back, get your notebook out, take some notes. I'll, I'll remind you when there's that nugget of wisdom I want you to take home with you and, uh, and enjoy our conversation. So uh, I want to thank you guys for making the drive up uh, on a Thursday of all days. And traffic gets a little dicey as you're coming over the border and getting into the uh, Detroit city proper. But I want to start with uh, how was it growing up for you guys? First, where did you grow up? And how was the family dynamic? Brothers, sisters, like gnarly. Like, how was that for you, Jeff? For me, uh, for me I was the only child. Uh, I would have to say that my childhood was pretty rough. Uh, pretty rough and rugged, it really was. My mother uh, was active uh, in alcoholism and all of the things that come with that. And uh, I didn't have a father. So I, I really, I, I grew up kind of between my grandma, my uncle, my mother, just whoever, whoever, whenever. And, uh, you know, went to a whole bunch of different schools, I think nine different schools by the time I was 15. Um, and then we finally settled down when I was 15, right in Port Clinton. But uh, I don't have any brothers. I don't have any sisters. Uh, I, today I can look back on it and it was just really all about me. I made I made my childhood all about me, poor me, uh, feel sorry for me. Um, that's really what I did because I could have done anything, and I just chose to try to be a victim as a child. Is really what it ended up being. Is I, I ended up trying to play the victim card my whole entire life. Like, oh, feel sorry for me, give me this, get me that, and almost hustle my grandmother and my uncles that were taking care of me and my aunt. You know. Like, don't you feel sorry for me? And they would. They would. We would do some really fun things. And, you know, uh, we grew up. I grew up somewhat in, in the Port Clinton area, which is, you know, by Putin Bay and Lonses and, and Middle Bass. And we would we would go to those islands quite a bit. And I would drink at a really early age because wine was acceptable when we're on the boat and we're on the island and being a kid. So. And early age, are we talking... 10 years old, 15 years old? Uh, you know, 
I would say, I mean, I drank long before that. I probably drank at five. I well, they would have all these parties, and I would steal their little king's beers and uh, end up passed out somewhere on the picnic table, underneath the picnic table, behind the couch, you know, whatever. And they just like, oh, it's, they they thought it was hilarious. They right, it was right. Funny, but uh, yeah, it was really early, early age. You know, I, I was drinking early, and uh, I tried. I, I even smoked weed. I think at. Uh, Seven. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, Jared, how about you? How was your uh, upbringing, man? Family dynamic? Um, I actually, I had a great childhood. I had a brother and a sister. I think my brother's 10 years older than me, and my sister's probably 13 years older than me. So it was kind of basically like I was, like, the only child a little bit. Like, I'm not from Ohio originally. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida, which is a gnarly town. So there was that growing up in the city, but I had a good childhood, man. Um, up until later in life, my brother got in trouble and uh, he was tried as an adult in Florida and went to prison for, I think, five years. So five years of my childhood, I was visiting him every weekend or every other weekend, always going to the Florida State Prison. So there was that and just growing up in a early city i grew up right by kona so started skating at an early age and there's that i mean alcohol was always present my dad was in the navy so he has a twin brother they always drank my my mom's side of the family always drank i drank at an early age i think the first time i smoked weed i was probably eight or nine wow and but i was a young kid in the neighborhood all the other kids were i'm eight or nine and they're all 13, 14 years old, so I didn't have any kids my age around. So there was that. Just, but I had a very, I had a great childhood. My mom and dad are still together. They still love each other. My family's really tight, and my sister's great. She has a great family. Like I didn't have any bad things happen to me really, within my family. Mm-hmm. That's I had a great childhood. Now school, I, I I'm always interested in school because I was a different kind of kid <clears throat> in school. I was like the quiet, artsy kid, like punk rocker. There was three other skateboarders in our school. We were friends. We got picked on all the time. Um, but, you know, I got along good with my teachers. I did what I had to do so I could, at the time, play ice hockey. My parents would take ice hockey away from me if I wasn't upholding my end of the bargain. So I was, I was actually a pretty good kid, you know, BC student, nothing in- incredible. I had to try hard. Uh, for the academic type stuff like, you know, math and English and all that. Um, but how was school, man? Challenging for you, Shell? Absolutely, yeah. Because it was tough because I was never in a school long enough to even get acclimated, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, nine different. Yeah, nine different schools. Uh, I definitely was that kid in school that parents would not let come over. <laughs> <laughs> and why is that? Because uh, the reality of it is I had no structure and I had no discipline. And uh, I could literally go and do whatever I want. I was the kid who never had to sneak out. I just walked out of the house. You know, I have nobody there to discipline me. I had free reign. And uh, I didn't do very well in school at all. Um, I was, you know, essentially, to be honest with you, um, Seventh grade was the last grade that I successfully completed. Okay. So, but uh, I was in juvenile detention so much that uh, throughout that process and uh, being an 18-year-old freshman, um, I did end up getting a general education diploma, which is a GED. You know, I like to say it the fancy way. It's kind of like my little... Uh, um, a little certificate. I have so. to tell you that's huge, though, because so many people don't go back and get that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know quite a few people even tried a couple times, and they just haven't gotten it, but it's important to them, and they're in their 40s, 50s, you know, just to have it. So that's actually pretty huge that you, you took the initiative to get that because, uh, I mean, it's a staple for a lot of mm-hmm. things moving forward. Not everything, but certain paths in life, you have to have that. You have to have that. So Jared, school? How'd you do, man? Um, I did. I did great in school, for real. I was like you. I was a quiet kid, art class all the time, and uh, 
I went to a lot of different schools, too, when I was a kid because my dad was in the Navy. Mm-hmm. I think I lived in Jacksonville for a while. and But I went to two schools in Jacksonville, too. And, uh, and then we moved here. I think when we moved here is when I started doing really bad. Like, How old were you when you moved up to Ohio? Um, I think I moved here in 98 or 99. I was 12, I think. Okay. That was when I met him. Skating down the street, and I see him and my friend Cody and a couple other people skating, and I'm like, those are my people, you know, so it's easy to make friends, but I hated Ohio, though. I did not want to live in Ohio. It's a big difference from Florida to Ohio, for sure. Yeah, way different. Like, in Ohio, I felt like I'm a minority. I'm one of the only white kids, and then I move here, and it's completely different. Yeah. Like, I'm in a class with... 12 to 15 kids in it. I'm used to a huge class. And, and like, I went to a K through 12 school in sixth grade, too. So it was just huge in all ages. And then go to a little junior high in Fort Clinton. And it was weird. Like 300 people in the whole yeah. school. But I was already, I was already a daily, like, I smoked weed daily when I was 12 already. At so, 12 years old. Yeah. Like, that was the only thing about my family life is like I had rules and stuff like that. They taught me all this stuff, but like I could I could drink and smoke weed and go out and do whatever as a teenager and, and younger. Like it didn't bother them. They didn't really tell me not to. Like I remember when me and Cody were 15, 16, they would let us go to louisville kentucky unsupervised and go to the skate park and get a hotel and do whatever i really not i didn't have no rules like that but i graduated high school it's funny too because my principal's on the board at the sober house i live at and he was my principal from seventh to twelfth grade in fort clinton how cool yeah it was weird i walked in there i moved i've lived there twice so when i moved in there the first time um, I'm like, what's up, dude? He's like, <laughs> he's like, I figured I'd see you around at some point, because he knew how I was. I, even as a kid, I was a drug user, and I was an alcoholic too in high school. So, and that leads me right <clears throat> into the next our, our our next phase of 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 this show, and that's you know you both uh, experimented drugs, alcohol at a young age. When did it? At what age did it become a daily practice or a routine? Maybe every weekend, and then it went into, you know, five days a week. At what was that during high school? Like what you said, you're an alcoholic during high school. Oh, yeah. When did that progress, or was it progressing nonstop leading up? I mean, I smoked weed every day from 12 on up. Like that was a daily thing, no matter what that I did that, but. Like, I started drinking, and it would just be at, like, family parties or, like, weekends when I would stay the night at a friend's house. But I think 17, 16, 17, I would start out drink every day. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, hard liquor, beer? Not that it matters. Both. Just, yeah. Anything that I could get my hands on. Yeah, yeah. And I was also using cocaine, too, so... There's that, and that was just, like, I got hooked on drugs just to be able to drink more, for real. Mm-hmm. Like, I could drink more when I was doing coke and stuff like that, so. And you graduated. That's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Yeah, I got lucky. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Jeff, was it just a natural progression as, as, you know, you started meeting like-minded individuals, hanging out, doing your thing? I mean, that's really kind of what happened was that, uh, you know, up until the age of 15, uh, I had told myself that uh, I wasn't going to become uh, like some of my family members and, you know, be a drinker or even smoke cigarettes or, you know, and I swore up and down and I, 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 it was like a firm stance that I had that I would not drink, I would not do drugs and I would not smoke cigarettes and all that. I, I stood firm with that right up to 15 and, uh, and that's kind of what happened is we settled into Port Clinton finally and we got an actual place to live. Cause there, I mean, there literally was some times, Gerald, where I was homeless 
we were sleeping in a vehicle or in a tent or, you know, even in camping in my grandfather's cottage, you know, there was those times and we finally settle in and I kind of like, I just took off because I was already like a fairly bad kid without drinking and using. And then as soon as I settled in, I, I really just honed into the group of people that were just like me, mm-hmm. but they happened to drink and use. So we're starting off drinking that nasty stuff at 15 of like Mad Dog, you know, uh, <laughs> what is that? Uh, Mad Dog 2020, man. 2020, what's the one, the fruit one? Oh, they, I don't know. They had a bunch of different that were like wine or something. Yeah, it's, I mean, it just reminds me of heartburn right now. But, <laughs> you know, you know them, them things. And I think like the 40 ounces of Mickey's and lasers and. Wild Irish Rose. Uh, no, that was later on in life. <laughs> or what's the wine everybody drank? There was a wine, too, at that time. Boone's like, Farm. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> See, I know, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Laser. I mean, because the 99 cent, you know, we're 15, 16 years old. And we didn't really have anybody get it, but, you know, just give somebody 10 bucks and they bring you back a couple 40s and they happen to be the dollar ones because they're getting theirs. But, yeah. No, I... That, you know, 15 was nonstop, man. As soon as we settled in, it was nonstop smoking, drinking. And uh, I'm, I was really, really poor. And so I, I hustled. You know, I sold weed and, and cocaine and those kind of things just so I could get the shoes that I wanted and the shirts to wear. You know? And uh, were you, what age did you start skateboarding? Oh, wow. Wow. 1989, so I, I think I was like around 9 or 10. Okay, so you were skateboarding throughout this. Yes, yeah. Where I lived at Gem Beach, there was a whole little group of us, and I was that guy acid dropping off of uh, <clears throat> off of the paper dispensers back then those days, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I was, mm-hmm. that, I was that guy getting us kicked out of every single place in our little ritzy community that we were staying in, you know? Um, yeah, and that was, that was my love, man. I, I, and I, what I found out with that, is that like skateboarding was my solution before I needed a, knew I needed a solution. So when times were tough at home, I would go skateboard. Yeah. When we would move to a different city, I could show up to about any skate spot and start making friends. You know what yeah, I mean? Same. I lived in I lived in Baltimore and, and Aberdeen, and that's how I made friends. Mm-hmm. We just show up to the local curb, and there'd be other guys there skating, and next thing you know, I have a I have a new group of friends for a little while. At that time, even, you know, for me, um, coming up in the, the mid-80s is when I – actually, early 80s when I started skateboarding, uh, even in the late 90s, if you saw somebody wearing a pair of Vans or you saw somebody wearing, you know, that their shoes had an ollie hole on it, yeah. it was like instant brotherhood. Yeah. Like you knew they skated, you knew you had something in common, and bam, like you were instant friends no matter what city you went to. If they had a, you know, a black flag shirt on and they had an ollie hole in their, in their yeah. shoes – you knew you could get along with that person. Yeah. Um, it's still sort of like that a little bit, but uh, it's so widespread now, it's tough. Um, it's It's been a blessing in my life, and obviously a blessing in yours as you continue, you know, I mean, freaking nine schools? Nine schools? Like, you, how do you, you can't even start to create connection there mm-hmm. with any friends there. No. And uh, drugs and alcohol could fill that void, or, you know, if you're trying to make an impact on people... You show up at the party, and you're the life of the party. Now you have more friends. Um, you know, with when it becomes a daily thing, when you are using every day, oftentimes uh, it ends up becoming a legal thing as well. I was very fortunate because I would lock my door, shut off my phone, and drink by myself. I didn't leave the house very much um, when I was drinking. I did have one uh, minor issue that um, I bumped a guy in my car and luckily he didn't call the cops i didn't get a dui and i paid for his car to get fixed and he just said you seem like a guy who's down you know having a hard time i feel like i give you a break it was i was very fortunate for that um legal issues uh did they (laughs) start or were they exacerbated by your use because you said you were pretty much a hellion growing up and you didn't really respond to rules very well because you never never had to um legal issues because of your addiction <laughs> look are you looking at me are you making fun of my uh, lazy this, eye this show no <laughs> <laughs> this show is not long enough for me to go into the details of my legal issues but yeah. uh 
Yes, immediately. And, you know, we have that, when I have the honor and privilege to tell my story in, in a, a recovery meeting, um, I am that guy that is drink trouble. So immediately at the age of 15, as soon as I picked up drinking, as soon as I picked up hustling, as soon as I picked up using things, I was I was immediately in, uh, sorry, my phone's ringing. Um, I was immediately in consequences. I was immediately in juvenile detention facility. You know, because the reality of it is nobody could control me. And that was the safest place for me. And when I look at it, it really was. You know, like I was that, I was that kid that... I would get to the juvenile detention facility and they were like, Oh, Hey, Jeff's back. We're cool. We got a guy who does the laundry and can work in the kitchen. <laughs> I swear to you. I, that's not, not, a not joke. the greatest thing to be on a first name basis with yeah. the lo lo local detention facility. No, for real. And, and uh, yeah, it, yeah, immediately, man. And, and you know, it, it progressed, you know, it's, those were, those were small things that happened in my life uh, compared to legal consequences later on, man. You know, I have three DUIs. Well, two, because I threw a lot of money at one and ended up getting a reckless op. But it's funny because that still counts as a DUI. <laughs> you throw all this money at it, you get this lawyer, and then when they go to give you, when you get your next DUI, it's like, oh, yeah, well, you had this reckless op, but that still counts. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, three DUIs. I didn't D even know that. Yeah, three DUIs and... uh you know, I'll tell you, I'm honest about it, and I'm not ashamed of it. I'm a multi-felon, too, so, you know, because all that stuff caught up, man. It all caught up. When you're chasing it, and you're not thinking straight, you're going to do what you have to do to get to where you want to get to, regardless of the law. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jared, legal issues, man? As a kid, no. Good. But I knew I was an adult when they tried me as one at 18 immediately. Wow. Because I used to hustle, too. So, I graduated high school, would not stop partying after. It was like gradu my graduation party on graduation day till... Lasted for the next till 10 years. a year years. and a half ago, basically. So, besides when I was locked up, I, did, I, never, I never used or drank homemade anything while I was locked up or anything mm -hmm. at all. I, I, would, I could stay sober in a structured environment like that and it and i and it wouldn't even bother me for real but as soon as i get out boom i'm off and running immediately yeah free will is it's a gift and a blessing at the same time you know yeah. uh when you were uh talking jeff about your upbringing you know i have a a, a few close friends of mine who um, were basically in institutions their whole life they were in institutions from the time they were five until they were like 45 in and out of them and that's they needed that structure because yeah. when they didn't have that structure they didn't know how to operate because that's the way they operated their whole yeah. lives yeah. and so when they were out in in the in the free world they were just like i don't even know how to act yeah. because yeah. i don't have this these rules and and whatnot and that's a very difficult transition if that's all you know is though that that kind of a structure i'm glad you guys aren't in prison right now i'm glad you're here to uh talk to our awesome drop-in audience about your um your experiences uh, i was just in prison last monday yeah but <laughs> it, we're gonna talk about some of that at the end of this show uh, <laughs> um it, you know uh, for me not a lot of people saw me drunk like, because I said, I lock my door, shut off my mm -hmm. phone, I disappear. Maybe 15 people, 10, 15 people on the planet have ever seen me inebriated. Because I was a very, very, I was a recluse, which is horrible, you know, yeah. to sit and drink alone and only leave the house to go get more. Um, were there times along your path where the people close to you were like, dude, you might have problems, you know, you might want to get some help? Was there anything like that where, yeah. where people maybe that you actually respected? Or we're trying to say, you know, before you totally shit can your life, you might want to give it some thought. I've had drug dealers tell me I need to calm down. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, hey. Wow, the pot bro. calling the kettle black. Yeah, like, bro, you need to calm down, dude. But no, I mean, yeah, at a young age, probably 16, 17, I was getting told by my family, like, hey. Like, they would tell you're going to end up just like your brother, dude. Mm. And 18 comes and boom, felonies and 
How and I wanted to ask just how like him throughout it all, you know. How long did you spend in the joint? I think I did. I didn't go to the joint. I got put in uh, the maximum security county. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never went to the joint. Man. Oh, good. Never. I just done a lot of time in jail and on probation. Yeah, I you know again from my experiences, you know, I've seen good people go in there and come out just totally yeah. different than, you know, there's nothing, not too much good comes out of our prison system yeah. here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff, just for my personal, and they're probably wondering, how much time do you do? A lot. I mean, my juvenile, uh, really from 16 to 18, was pretty much all DYS and uh, juvenile prison. And, uh, I think that's what DYS. I didn't, I was getting ready to go to a juvenile prison until I was 18 when uh, I finally told them that, hey, I think I have a drug and alcohol problem. And then they sent me to a, a treatment center when I was 17 and a half almost. I was just turning 17. I got out of there about 17 and a half. And then, the, you know, that's that's like your question that you asked him about when were people telling me. And it was right around 16. They're like, hey, Jeff, you're going down the same path as those people you don't want to go down, and you're going to turn out exactly like them from from what I was doing. And, uh, they it's were, funny because we'll, we'll use right it as too. an excuse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the, in the criminal justice system, we'll use it as an excuse oh, yeah. to get out of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I was facing like four years, I think, and I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm a drug addict. Mm-hmm. We I don't, it, we I don't it, need to go there. I'm a drug addict. Right? We call it the easier, softer way. Yeah. <laughs> it really, uh, treatment is the easier, softer way than doing hard time. And and we, we you know, it sounds like he knew it. I know I knew it because that's one thing I was good at was manipulation and hustling, man, to get what I want. And that was definitely one of them. You know, I'm like, you know, I, I ended up going to a, a, a six-month rehab in uh, Mansfield, Ohio, right down from the prison, to be honest with you. And it's where some of them would transition to go when they got out. They would be in that same facility. But that's where I was really introduced to recovery was at 16. It didn't take any by any means, but but that's where I was introduced. Well, and this will be a, a little bit of a two-part question. Um, now, in and out of recovery till you decided I'm going to do whatever I have to do to stay sober, or was it one and done? Like, were you in and out of, uh, Jeff, I'll ask you first. Um, for me, you know, three rehabs, insane asylum, and people often ask me, they're like, why, what was it that made you get sober? And I don't have an answer. I don't. It was, I walked in a bathroom on, on February 2nd, 2017. I looked in the mirror and I go, if we're going to, if we're going to be done with this, let's get, let's get busy. Let's, let's, because I was, I, I was drinking myself to death and I'm like, let's do it now. And if we're not going to do it right now, let's dig ourselves out of this. And I never drank again, and I would do whatever they told me. I always tell people, if if the people around me told me, you have to crawl on glass to Antarctica to stay sober, I would have got on my knees and started For crawling sure. on glass to Antarctica because I believed them and I trusted what they were telling me. For you guys, what was that journey like to that that? day was it a a legal thing was it a relationship thing was it something inside of you and you may not be able to answer the question but i get that question a lot of times and i don't know what the answer is it it was that moment of clarity divine intervention whatever you want to call it there it is whatever you want to call it it happened on that day and and i never looked back you know we're five and a half years later august 2nd for me was five and a half years and um I, I don't know what to tell people when they, you know, rehab didn't do it. Taught me a lot of cool stuff and some ways to cope with it. <laughs> but within two weeks of leaving there, I was back at the liquor store. We call it the gift of desperation. That's right. The gift of desperation. You care to expound on that a little bit? I'm an in and outer. I have been since 2017, I think. I got indicted. And uh, I was going to say this, too. I can stay sober while I'm on papers and bond. Mm-hmm. I can. Like, I don't know why, but I will. I'm, I, we always say this, like, I'm a dumb criminal, but I'm, I'm not stupid, though. I'm not dumb. I'm not going to, like, 
fuck it all the way up for me. I have before, but I was I was in and out. Like I got in. It's funny because I seen what Jeff and them were doing, and I was like, "Well, they're not in jail. I'm gonna go do what they're doing, and uh, try and get out of this." And uh, it doesn't work, you know. And um, the gift of desperation is uh, when you just I, I God gave it to me. It's uh, I asked for God's help. And he gave me that gift of def- gift of desperation. That's the gift of. I'll I'll fucking do anything to fucking stay sober because mm-hmm. I do not know how to. Like I'll do anything that you guys want me to do, you know. And before I was not willing to do that at all. I would keep things like, and it's it's like a hole inside you that you're trying to fill with other things once you quit. Once you get sober and like you don't know how to you don't want to help people you don't want to do all this stuff that we do and um you start trying to fill it with other things like work and money or women or uh new things cars license i need a house i I need to have all this stuff to make me feel better and then when you do all that and it don't make you feel better and you're like, fuck, what do I do? And then something, it's usually something bad happens to you. Like, the relationship you're in will end. A family member dies. Just, the the you're on probation and it's not going the way you want it to. You can't control anything. And you end up, uh, like, uh, what, what's your next solution? Mm-hmm. Alcohol or drugs. And then, bam, you start doing it again. That's how it's always been for me. And, uh, I, I use and drink to the point that I die and it's happened multiple times. And, uh, and every time before it would happen, I wake up in an ambulance or a hospital or jail and, um, nothing would change. And, uh, just the one day I was like, God, please help me. I, I cannot do this anymore. I, I'm tired of living this way right and then five minutes later i'm dead in my mom's bathroom and then she gets the door open calls the squad uh today a good friend of mine he's a good friend of mine today with the task force and everything in ottawa county they you know come and bust in narcan me save my life and i wake up in an ambulance and i'm different you know and i'm like I haven't I haven't wanted to use ever since then. Um, I I did it, things different as soon as I get out of the hospital. I pick up the phone. I called him actually. Call him. Ask him for help. Call a program like uh what do you call it? H-ray. Outpatient program. Call them. Call counselors. What do you want me to do? We want you to get on Vivitrol. Okay, I'll do it. You know, go get that stuff. Do whatever you, I'll do whatever y'all want me to do, you know? Yeah, mortality will do that, you know? Um, Not always, you know? I uh, was in a, not quite that situation, but my mom had to take me to the hospital, and I had 40% vodka in my blood, and the lady was like, the nurse, like, the only reason you're not in a coma or dead right now is because you're in such good shape. She's like, I can't believe you're not in a coma right now. And um, that wasn't enough. I still had to go out and test the water right. some more after that. That's that right. didn't do it for me. Yeah, both um, of us did a bunch of times. But, you know, you just never know what, what – and, and you're very fortunate yeah. to, to cheat death as many times as you have uh, to be here speaking with us. So thank you yeah. um, for making that decision because I, I – um, you know, we've, we lose 110,000 last year mm. to um, overdose. That was the number I saw recently, and um, and you know testing that roulette wheel every day of your life, eventually it's going to catch up with you, and it's gonna gonna make you not have that opportunity anymore. Um, Jeff, oh, I love to talk about the God's gift of desperation. Yeah, because listen, I am that guy that 
gets in trouble, goes to jail. I get to jail and I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to use again. I'm never going to drink again. God, if you get me out of here, I swear I won't. <laughs> right. Yep. And we that time. foxhole prayer, man. Yep. Yeah. I'm the same way, dude. I swear yeah. I won't. I swear get I won't. Get the door running. As soon as I get fresh air, I get a cigarette, I get a beer, I get what I want. Boom. Every single time, without a doubt. You know, my sobriety date is uh, October um, 16th of 2015. And a lo- it took a lot for me to get to that point, man. It, I overdosed. Uh, I started using um, opioids in 2007 after a horrible car wreck that I should have died from there. I was in a coma. I had brain issues. I had a lot of broken bones, a lot of everything. You had brain issues? Yeah. Weird. (laughs) And then, and then that started me on that next, that next level for me because I always drank. Drinking was consistent and I never Mm -hmm. thought drinking was the problem. I get to the opiates and all of a sudden, you know, 2007 uh we talk about it in the in the program it's like when liquor met the sedative i had arrived that's what it was i had arrived you know i mean that was like the best feeling i had ever felt and i wanted to duplicate that the rest of my life no matter what and uh that led me down a really slippery slope man because i'm getting pain meds and i'm getting them managed through the doctors and then all of a sudden i get cut off of those and it's because I can't pass one of their urine screens to, you know, and I was in legit pain mm-hmm. and yet again, playing the victim again. Right. Weird. Always, always the victim. And, uh, and, and so they kicked me off of those things and I started to feel really not good. <laughs> like that was my first experience with being opiate sick was probably about 2008, <laughs> 2000 yeah right almost into 2009 that's funny because i was probably around the same time yeah and it, like, you know why am i sick i'm like why like is everything so sick. achy and hurt yeah. i don't understand you know um it's because i graduated from from prescribed pills into the heroin and uh back then it was actually heroin it wasn't what killing everybody today which was still killing people then but uh you know so that led me into eight overdoses Okay. That's it? Yeah, only I'm eight. being sarcastic. <laughs> what the hell? Eight rookie overdoses. numbers. Yeah, eight overdoses. <laughs> Six of those involved Narcan. Thank God for Narcan. Um, so, but each and every one of those times before that very last one, uh, God willing, um, I would just go right back at it. Like, it was just like you were talking about with your story with going to the hospital and... and same thing. I would get out of the hospital. I'd go home. I'd repeat the process over and over go again. Go home and be like, that shit was fire. Yeah. I, I'm just going to do less. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, I'll do uh, half of that. Yeah. So I'll, I'll run it right up to it, man. Uh, I was in jail for a long period of time. Again, that's weird, right? And uh, I get out of jail early because I was on a work program trying to help mow lawns and do all these things. And they let me out like 16 days early. So it was... Uh, july of 2015 and uh i get out i already had something at the house i was already drunk okay as soon as i got released from jail that friday uh i went right to the store and i picked up long island iced teas two of those little pre-mixers that are like 12.5 or whatever they are hammered them and then i for for good luck i grabbed one of them little stupid 151 shots that they have by the front of the cash register every time you walk up there and you're like yeah all right so I hammer these things. I go home and I do some drug. I do some uh, heroin, and I overdosed. Straight out of jail. Straight out of jail. So it was out of the gate by eight, into the spoon by noon, and on the floor by four. <laughs> <laughs> That's the joke, but it, it's horrible. <laughs> so that was a that was a Friday night, and then Sunday night I overdosed again. This time, my girlfriend was home. My child was present. Okay. And this happened in my dining room where I almost knocked myself out because I almost hit the table when I fell. Okay. This is when God stepped in 100% without a doubt. If you don't believe in God, cool. But I'm going to tell you it is absolutely real because when I woke up from that overdose in that hospital that night, I looked up and I seen like these same halogen lights that I, I knew exactly what time that was. I knew exactly what happened. 
I knew why I was laying in that hospital that time. And for the first time in my life, first time ever, I said, oh, God, I need help, man. I, oh, my God. And I had felt the most remorse, guilt, shame, and fear I have ever felt in my life. Because previous to that point, I would never feel those feelings. Yeah, me neither. I would drown those feelings out. No, at all costs, no matter what, I would not feel those feelings. And this time I did, and I soaked in them, and I cried like a little baby. And I reached out for help. I called that same, probably the same person he did, uh, you know, was my IOP teacher, because I was an IOP for like six years, because, <laughs> you know, yeah. because I couldn't pass a urine we're, screen. We're IOP champions. Yeah, that's, we're IOP champs, right? So I finally call this guy, and this guy says to me, he's like, Jeff, I've been waiting for you to say this. How can I help you? And, and this is where, I, this, is where this, this building of faith comes for me. Because immediately, immediately, God started working through people. Okay? I'm getting a shot of Vivitrol. I'm getting on naloxone uh, within two weeks, where normally it's a month and a half out to even see the doctor to get it prescribed to you. And for our for our viewers, what is Vivitrol? Uh, Vivitrol is a high concentrate dose of naloxone, but it's a time release opiate blocker. It's an opiate blocker. It blocks the receptors in your brain. Okay. It's originally for alcohol. It's for alcohol, so you can't you won't feel the effects of the opioid opioid or alcohol. So you just drink and drug as much as you want. And you ain't gonna. Oh, feel you'll it. die. Your body will, yeah, but you aren't gonna you'll feel get any euphoric. Yeah. You'll get feel miserable, yeah. but it ain't gonna give you what you're looking it for. It is not. Yeah. And for also IOPs, intensive outpatient, just so you guys know. Yeah, and they're helpful. I mean, they. I'll be honest with you, they're not the solution, but they're helpful. Yeah. We say, we say, uh, you know, rehab and treatment are discovery. We get to discover some things about ourselves. We get to discover some things about the disease of addiction and alcoholism. We get a lot of discovery. But but recovery is the personal growth that we get outside of ourselves, that we get from people, that we get from meetings, 12-step meetings, recovery meeting, any kind of any kind of thing that's gonna help build us in the spiritual realm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be, you know, it isn't church for me. It isn't those aren't the things that work for me. It's a, it's a spiritual nature of my understanding is what I'm working with. You know what I mean? Like something out there has, has given me this chance and opportunity that day on that Sunday of July 28th gave me a gift that day. And I recognize it. And I, and I sat and watched how it all unfolded in front of me. And, I, and keep in mind, people, I did not stay sober. Just so you know, I didn't stay sober. It took some more time. Because it happened in July of 2015. I finally got sober in October of 2015. Because it took me some took me some bumps. And it took me some figuring out. It took me, the reality is what it is. It took me that unconditional surrender that it takes to say that I'm not going to do this anymore. And I'm willing to do what it takes to have to not have this happen again. Yeah. And before that, I wasn't ready. I wanted to control recovery in my way. I wanted to recover how I wanted to recover. And what happened? I got drunk a lot because as I'm coming off of those opiates and all the other substances, I stopped all the other substances on July 28th of 2015. Okay. But I drink didn't. Drink on Vivitrol. I did drink on Vivitrol. <laughs> Horrible. Don't ever do it, people. Um, I could not control or understand the amount of feelings that were rushing into me. I'm talking... You've ever been hit with a skateboard? That's what it felt like right in the head with all those feelings that were being yeah. sent to me. Same well, for me. From a young age, from a young age, both you Mastum. guys could numb those yeah. things. So it ultimately it may have been the first time in your life that you've ever actually felt those feelings, yeah. those raw feelings, and they're yeah. real raw. They are the, raw. I got out the hospital, called him. He came over to my mom and dad's house. I cried in the kitchen with him. And that is fucking foreign to me. I'm not going to cry in front of some fucking dude. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, and show that emotion. Like, but I mean, I, it happened, you know? Well, and, and, you know, 
as, as we continue our, 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 our one day at a time, our one minute at a time, sometimes one second at a time on certain yeah. days, um, one of the most important, pro- I think, important things from any program, you know, if it's, you know, a 12-step program, if it's whatever you're using, mm-hmm. it's the connection. Mm-hmm. It's the commonality you have with others that um, can share what you have been through and then helping others. I think, yeah. uh, I mean, the big books, that, you know, I, I believe that's the most important part of AA is that that community mm-hmm. and, and, and one alcoholic helping another, one addict helping another. Now, you do some pretty cool stuff down in Ohio. Over the last few years, you brought up people with you in our skateboard community who are new to sobriety, maybe new to the area, and we have a pretty cool group. And, mm-hmm. and you know what's rad? For those of you watching, it's not like the sober guys are over here and the partiers are over here. Oh, that no. isn't what it's like at all. No. You know, <laughs> there's a mutual respect for everybody. And, and yeah, we talk about sobriety, make wisecracks, but we're out there riding our skateboards, and there's there's this this connection, this camaraderie that's so special, and it could happen anywhere. It could be on a on a softball field, in an ice rink. It could be anywhere. For us, it's skateboarding, and I think it's very special because we get to do this as long as we want, you know, to the grave, yeah. man. I think I always say that, but you bring up different people here and there. Some are in and out, some local I get phone calls, and they know about our crew, and they'll be like, you know, I got a young kid who's trying to stay sober. Can yeah. he come and hang out with you guys? Um, that that work is just as important. Mm. And you do some cool stuff down in Ohio with Lighthouse. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I definitely can. Uh, I do want to hit on what you were just talking about just a little bit. And it, we, the reason why we I bring up uh, other kids that skate that are new to recovery. and they it's have fun. So yeah, yeah. I just want to show that these people that look, man, we can have so much fun not drinking and not using. And if you look around, you'll start to see that this guy's sober, that guy's sober, this guy's, you know, there's a lot of us, you know, we're quiet. We're pretty anonymous sometimes, but we're not when we're all together. Right. You yeah. know what I mean? So, and, that, and that's the beauty of it, man. You know, it's like just the same as when I would want to go find uh, the, the substances I was looking for, I knew who to look for yeah. now in recovery, the same thing mm-hmm. is I know who to look for. Who's got some good recovery is having a good time and having a blast. And, and that's been honestly, people, one of the, the coolest things about Gerald. When I met him, I seen him on that social media. Um, he was on a friend of mine, social media. I'm like, that dude skates. He's in Detroit. I mean, I, I even wrote on the thing. It was like a live thing with her, I think Riverside park or something. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I wrote on, I'm like, hey, I skate. I'm in Ohio. I'm in recovery too. <laughs> and, and that's what started it, really, you know. And we connected since yeah. then. But even being with you, uh, coming up here to Michigan, that's why we come up here all the time. Like, I, I feel safe. I feel love. I feel the awesome vibes every time I come to the city of Detroit and its surrounding areas. Yes. Like, we skate Cleveland all the time and all those areas. And we come to find out there's a lot of people in the scene over there, too. Yeah. I yeah. ran into Becker last week. Boom. That yeah. guy. Becker. Becker's like, awesome. Amazing. You know, there, there's a gentleman named, uh, I'll just call him by his last name, Becker. But um, I met him when I was I was still deep in it. And I was playing drums in Stalefish. We played with one of his bands. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's just been rad. My second, my second year anniversary of being sober, I skated a vert ramp with Becker. And it's the first invert I did on, on like a big ramp in three, four years. And Becker came up to celebrate with me. It's such a rad dude. But you're exactly right. Once, you know, a little, you know, we don't, we're not broadcasting, like carrying signs and stuff. I mean, I wore shirts and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But when somebody recognizes it, some of the most successful people I have run into in the last five and a half years New people, new friends, different people, people I didn't even know. I've been friends with for 20 years. And they'll, like, quietly be like, yeah, I got 16 years. Yeah. I had no yeah. idea. Yeah, just happened. Yeah, no no crazy, idea. Dude. And there's this special connection that happens there because they've been through the same hell or a similar hell as I have. And I have a postcard on my fridge that says, um, I'm a veteran of a war that most would never understand. And I mailed it to yeah, myself. You, yeah, you showed that to me. Yeah. I mailed it to myself. Um, actually, a friend of mine mailed it to me two months after I wrote it. 
and I got it in the mail. I'm like, oh, man, that looks like my writing. I already forgot I sent it to myself. Oh, yeah. Just a reminder, early on in sobriety, you know, to two months, if it was coming in two months, I may not know it. You know, I may be back off to the races. I don't know, mm. but I wasn't at that time. In our community, it's interesting because you don't wear, most people don't wear sobriety like a badge. You we're, know, it we're is. We're very lucky. Hmm? We're very lucky to have that. Yeah. And, and when you, I needed it big time when I got sober last year, like, cause I don't relate. I mean, I relate in the, in the program with people in the drinking and using aspect, but to be honest, there's not a lot of people like me where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So like having Jeff and then I get sober and we come up to Detroit, go to Cleveland, go down to Columbus and do what I love too. And I get to do it sober. Like I absolutely needed that dude. Well, and it's so rad, you know, to see even other guys like, uh, you know, Jason Adams, legendary pro professional skateboarder for the uh, Black Label. Uh, it was in the last few months that yeah. he um, he finally reached out and, and got Good. some help. And, and uh, I've been friends yeah. with Jay for about 10, 15 years. And I was so stoked. I didn't want to see that guy die, you know. Yeah. And, and We were supposed to meet him that one night at Modern. Yeah, he didn't yeah. come because yeah, he got he's drunk. drunk. Yeah, like I asked yeah. him at 2 o'clock that afternoon. You know, they were up here for an art show. I asked him 2 o'clock that afternoon, and he was already in the cans. Yeah. And I'm like, you going to roll around with us tonight? He's like, man, gee, I'm already in it. I ain't, I ain't skating nothing. And it was, what, uh, six months later? I mm -hmm. see them doing a fundraiser for Jason Adams going to rehab. And, nice. And uh, I'm yeah, stoked for him. Too. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, skaters that are our age that are maybe nationally, internationally known who are, are being public about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm stoked on that sluggo out of Ohio, uh, Canada. You'll see some good posts when it comes up to his sober date. I had no idea. Nobody did. Dude's a Hollywood stuntman, professional skateboarder, um, celebrating sobriety. And I'm glad that, well, I'll say, one of the reasons I wanted to do this, this series of shows is so maybe somebody watching who has this stigma of yeah. if you say the word al alcoholic or addict, they immediately have this image in their head of what that is. And, and we're here to tell you that, that if, if you have a negative image of that, um, I, I want to combat that. I want to let you know, you know, pretty successful dude. This dude owns a business down in Port Clinton where he's tearing it up. Uh, Fixing boats, doing this, doing that. Uh, also incorporating some people in the community to um, work with you, mm -hmm. which I think is incredible. For me, somebody who is sober, has a little bit of uh, sober time under their belt, I would hire them in a minute because they have a drive and a passion for life that you don't find everywhere. Um, the other thing I wanted to hit on is that addictive personality. I've always had it. I've, I've been fortunate to put it into positive things most of my life. Mm -hmm. um, to shift that to skateboarding or skateboarding, building a business, building networks, helping other people, that, that drive that we had chasing can, can be transmuted into so many other positive things. And that's what I believe we, we're all ex uh, exercising right now. Um, with your business, did you have that before you went in the joint, or did you start that ex post facto? I've been in the marine industry for this is my twenty eighth year, and I I tried a business back in uh, two thousand six, but uh, that ultimately led to me drinking all day at my job, <laughs> and uh, that's when that car accident happened. But this is the uh, the newer version of it with me being sober, working a program, working the 12 steps into my life, using those 12 steps, not only to stay sober, but as to treat people, which mm -hmm. is the cool thing about those steps. And, uh, you know, I started a company, uh, after working for another one and they just weren't treating me too well. And they were kind of, I think somewhat dangling that dang dangling my past over me a little bit. Like, hey, we gave you a chance. We gave you an opportunity. You owe us. And and I, I struggled with that because I was really grateful that they did let me in. I was on drug court and probation uh, for the felonies that I caught, and they, they were through me. But I talked to my sponsor, and I talked to another person that worked there, and he's like, how much do you really owe them? You've been here three and a half years, and you've made this company a ton of money, which is none of my business because when you own a company, that's what 
we're there for. We're mm-hmm. workers, right? And uh, I was already picking up clients. Uh, and oddly enough, people, my clients were in the program and sober with big money and big boats. And I didn't know these things until I went to the, like you talked about, the fellowship of the recovery community. And, uh, and then the next thing you know, they're, they're pushing me in a different direction. They're like, hey, man, you're really good at what you do. You should just do this for yourself and not worry about that guy. And it was nerve-wracking, but I had faith that it would work out. And so I, I made a, a, a boat detailing and fiberglass company. We call it Hip Detail, H-I-P. Why hip? I know the answer. Ah. I'm doing this for you. Yeah. <laughs> it stands for honesty, integrity, and purpose. If I live my life each day like that, like I try to do to the best of my ability, and I do business like that to the best of my ability, all will be fine. I have faith in that 100%. And the long sleeve shirts are, in, like, I love mine. <laughs> like, when I want to feel powerful, uh, it'll be, like, midnight. I'm like, I need some extra booze. I'll put on that long sleeve shirt. Yeah, everybody's <laughs> got one but me. Oh. You, you know, it, it says, you know, honesty, integrity, and purpose on the shirt. It just makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. And I know who it represents and what it represents, and it's it's important to me. Um, with you, Jared, man, uh, I watch you on a skateboard, dude, and and you're an incredible skateboarder, and you have fun, and you do it for you, which I think is, is the – it's awesome. Um, and to see – just, and I don't want to say it's not maturity, but just to see your I'm, confidence. And I've seen it. I'm a the, lot better when I'm sober. Well, in the short time that we've known each other, your confidence, it's like almost monthly. Just the way you, even when you were injured, this dude, so we go snowboarding, right? And, <laughs> oh, and he's sober. <laughs> he's sober. And we go snowboarding and biggest jump on the hill. I'm not a snowboarder. I can carve, cruise. I don't even hit jumps. I just have a good time. We're, we're, there's a whole crew out there, and it's the biggest jump. And Jared's at the top, and I can see him, and he's like, I'm, you know, I, I'm not up there privy to the conversation, but he comes down the hill. I was like, I got this. <laughs> and he catches an edge. And we're just out for a casual afternoon. He catches an edge right at the top of the jump. I think he's trying to do some, like, uh, rodeo john cardiel kind of stuff no catches an edge next thing you know he's down i'm filming and he ain't getting up he's hurt well collarbone but even during that you'd still come hang out like even though you couldn't skate you'd come to the park and chill and and cheer everybody on yeah you gotta stoke everybody up yeah yeah that's so important where maybe you know and i love it handful of years ago you get hurt, you'd be like, I ain't going this week, Jeff. And who knows what could have happened at that point if you weren't strong. If I strong wasn't in- hurt, I'd be like, I'm not going this week, Jeff. Yeah. Even Sometimes. if you're, you know, being strong in your sobriety, though, man, it's it's such a, it's so yeah. rad to be around it. It's crazy how much I've changed since I got sober. Because when I was using back then, like when I first met you and Greg and Mark and everybody, and he's like telling me about other people too, he's like, oh, so and so sober and shit. And I'm, I don't give a fuck, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, I don't care what you guys are doing. And then I'm like, I got to go. I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like, and then I'm so delusional that I'm like, oh, I'm still, I'm still, that, that backsmith look good. And then I'll watch videos of me when I was like completely fucked up and I'm like, and then I'll watch a video of me sober, and I'm like, he was right. I am way better when I'm sober. Like, uh, yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just stoked you guys are alive. Stoked you're my friends. Stoked we get to skate, um, and we get to inspire and possibly, you know, reach one person. That's all I yeah. hope. This show reaches one person, and you realize through uh, what Jared and Jeff have, have shared with us today that there is hope. There's always hope. There's a way out. We're going to have to do like a series of shows with these two guys because I know there is more. There is more that we're going to cover, and I'm sure it's going to come down the road. But in, you know, closing out this short hour, it goes quick. We've already been sitting an hour. Um, Is there anything uh, you would like to share with, um, you know, if somebody's watching and, you know, I mean, we've covered a lot here in this hour. We covered a ton and um, in closing, anything else you guys would like to share with our awesome drop-in audience? 
Like for people that are want to get sober? Or? Yeah, yeah. I know for me, one of my biggest fears about getting sober was this is going to be fucking lame. There ain't going to be nothing to do. I'm just going to sit at home and watch TV. I'm not going to have any fun. I'm not going to have any friends anymore because all my friends do what I do, which is heroin and cocaine and drink. So I'm like, and I'm weird because I don't want to, I don't want to get to know new people. So I'm like, this is going to be lame. And it would, I would talk myself right out of it. And, um, it's completely untrue, man. Um, I've had the most fun I've ever had in my life in the past 17 months, man. And, um, it, it is great, man. Like if, uh, if you open your eyes to it, you'll see it, you know, you'll see how fun it is, how great it is, um, how many great people you can meet in your life and, it's just, it's awesome. That's all I got to say. Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm thinking about all the stuff we've done, you know, yeah, we've parties lot, and, the, and yeah. the, the cool people we've got to skate with and the opportunities. You know, there's been times where, uh, you know, I don't remember which event it was. It might have been the art show or something where I made a phone call or something. I'm like, uh, Caballero and a bunch of guys come to the park. You got and and they'll jump in the car and come. Like uh, and, on the way. That wouldn't happen if any of us were deciding that uh, getting inebriated was a better route. None of that would have happened. And those are moments like, I mean, people would pay millions. I, I'm gonna say millions of dollars to have the opportunity to be in the same breathing space as some of the greatest skateboarders on the planet. And it was a phone call. You know, private, only the people invited could be there. And you guys jumped in the car, drove up from Ohio, and got to experience that. If we didn't have the sobriety, we wouldn't have to do We wouldn't be able that to do God things. That was God that day for me because I was at my uncle's funeral that day. And I was laying in bed crying yeah. when Jeff called me. Man. Like, and I didn't even want to go. He's like, let's go. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know. He's like, dude, let's go. And I'm like, all right. You know? Just and, I'll go cry in the parking lot of Modern, but I'm, I'll, I'll go, though. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, so it was there. It was a wonderful evening, but yeah, we don't was. have. I always say it: if I don't have sobriety, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything. It'll all go away as quick as it can. Any uh, parting uh, wisdom you got for us, Mr. Yeah. Shell? So here's the deal: if uh, if anybody listening is thinking whether or not they are an alcoholic or needs to quit drinking, it's probably a good sign that you do. Yeah, if you and think, if you need think, to, if you're you thinking are. about it. And, and there's a lot of help out there, man. People like Gerald are available. I'm always available. He knows how to get a hold of me. Um, and, and they say if you're bored in recovery, you're doing it wrong. Right. I mean, that's 100% true. Uh, you know, I, I accredit everything that I get to do today uh, from God and, uh, re and, and recovery. Because, I, I mean, I'm telling you guys, you heard my juvenile story. I was that guy. And now I get phone calls from guys like G-Man here that says, hey, Cavalero, uh, Novak, Hensley, and all these guys are going to be at Modern. Get up here. And, like, before I even knew I had permission from George, <laughs> I'm already at the – I'm almost at Toledo. That's, you know what I mean? That's the, the perks of him owning his own business, too. Because if anything pops up, he's like, hey, let's go. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, cool. I don't have to work anymore, and I get to go have fun. Yeah. 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 So, you know, and, and the same when Gerald asked for something like this, you know, there's no questions, there's no thinking yeah. about it. We missed our home group for this. Yeah, this is our tonight's our home group. This is our big meeting yeah. that we we make every week. But I will skip it uh, if it has to do with recovery yeah. or me speaking at an event or any of those things. So, yeah. just if you're thinking about whether you have an issue or not, you probably do. <laughs> so at least inquire about it and uh, maybe get some good advice from Gerald and. He can put you in the right direction if you're in the Michigan area. And if you're in the Ohio area, you are always more than welcome to hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, and I will give you my phone number. Yeah, yeah. Uh, speaking of that, I was invited to uh, a friend new to sobriety as chair in a meeting down in Toledo and asked if I would come down in a few weeks. So I'll let you guys know the details oh, about we'll be that. There. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, awesome dude. Fired up, you know. And uh, so it's pretty cool that he, he texted me last night. He's like, uh, could you come down like in September? I'm like, just send me the date. Let me see what I can do. And uh, it might be a Thursday night, um, but I'm looking forward to it. So 
We'll see if we can make that happen. Go to and Cook's for you guys, DIY. huh? Go to the DIY. Yeah, we always skateboarding's everywhere, <laughs> and so whenever we are doing other things, we try to find a local skateboard park and at least hit it up. And uh, so, but you know, you guys, hopefully, you took some notes. Hopefully, uh, there if, if this wasn't something that would be cha- life changing for you, I am certain, certain, you know somebody it would. Like, share. Send them the link, and underneath in the description, you'll see there'll be some uh, tools, some meeting finders for AANA, Refuge Recovery. There'll also be uh, the proper spelling of everybody's name in case you're looking for any of us on social media. You got questions you want to ask about, uh, private message any one of us, any one of us, and we'll get back to you. It happens weekly for me. I probably get three to five messages a week about sobriety and what's rad is when i don't feel i have all the tools i can call shill i can call jared and say hey my buddy's dealing with this is it cool if i give him your number and not once has either one of them said no so there's always help and there is hope there is hope so with that i want to say thank you guys man we're gonna go ride our skateboards a little bit as soon as we're done here but incredible Incredible. I'm sure we're going to do it again. Oh, and yeah. um, and you guys are awesome. Thank you for making the drive up and being guests here on the drop-in. And thank you guys, man. I do, We do this for you. For you. And I hope you got everything you wanted to get out of it and more. Like I said, like, share, subscribe. We're going to be doing shows about sobriety for the next handful of uh, episodes. So make sure to tune back in because each show is a different view. Like I said at the beginning of this show, it's not cookie cutter. There isn't one way that works. And if it's not working for you, maybe you went to a meeting and you said, that isn't for for me, drop me a line. I'll give you like five other options that I know where you can find what works. And when you were a baby, if you, when you were learning to walk and you fell down, what if your mom said, ah, just not going to walk. We'll just leave them down there. (laughs) Just ain't going to walk. That's pretty good. No, that isn't what they said. They found ways. Maybe you had a little, uh, you walked by the table or, or maybe you had the lawnmower and you could use that for stability. You found a way to walk. Think of your recovery that same way. So with that, I want to say thank you very much. You guys are awesome, man. I, I can't thank you enough. I got goosebumps on my whole body right now. Um, you know, that's Jared. This is Jeff. I am Gerald. And this is The Drop-In. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,